you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. tell you while you're turning there if you're a time clock watcher while I preach turn off your time clock now because this may be the longest message that you have heard me preach but this is did I hear somebody sigh I've received all my coaching I have everybody that has given me input has given me input but we've got a lot to do in this message this morning so we're going to see what God wants to do. But I didn't fast and pray and seek God to this moment to be running against the time clock and walk out of here feeling like I didn't deliver. What God to deliver. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 17 came and preached peace unto you which were afar off. This is referring to the Gentile nation and to them that were nigh. This is talking about the Jewish nation. It's talking about Jesus coming to preach peace unto you which were afar off and to them which were nigh. For through him we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit unto the Father. That means that anybody, because anybody that's not Jew is Gentile, so therefore it's saying anybody to whosoever will, doesn't matter what corner of the world you live on, no matter what continent that your nationality goes back to, it doesn't matter that what God did was preached peace to the world, to every nationality, to every tongue. For through him, through Jesus, all of us have access but one spirit unto the Father. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but we are fellow citizens with the saints. Everybody say unified. Fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Look around you. This is your family today. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That's the word of God. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In whom everything we do, all the building is fitly framed together. And it's all resting upon a chief cornerstone that is Jesus. We're fitly framed together unto a holy temple of the Lord. By the help of the Lord this morning, I want to preach to you the point of beginning. The point of beginning. Lord, 
I do need your anointing to rest upon the word of God and the inspiration of your spirit as you have inspired me in study. I need it in delivery now. And I pray that every heart becomes open and where my words fail this morning, that your spirit would bring life. And God, that there would be anointing rest upon the hearts and ears and minds of every hearer. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. It goes without saying that when a reset is called for, the intent is to get back to the original. That's the whole purpose of reset. It is a default mode to get back to the original, back to the point of beginning. The theme of this awakening conference this year is reset because along about November of last year, sitting in my living room with a conversation with my wife at the point of extreme weakness, looked at our family and said, we all need a hard reset. At that moment, I knew immediately I began to weep in my living room. I came to the church office the next morning and I walked in and spoke with Sister Cheryl and said, I think I have a theme and maybe you can start thinking about a graphic that might follow this. But I felt in the Holy Ghost that maybe the theme of this conference should be reset to which her eyes welled with tears as she turned to screen to show me a graphic that she was working on that would be perfect and the theme was reset. In the mouths of two or three witnesses, let all things be accomplished. I feel that God has ordered this conference every step of the way. And I feel that it is a call for all of us to get back to the point of beginning. When the founding fathers began to set the boundaries of the original 13 colonies, they established a fixed set point. Positioned still to this day in New England is the foundational point of beginning. From the first established location, they pulled so many bars and so many rods east and west to decide a location that is called benchmarks. These locations can be traced back to that original point in beginning. And it comes to within an absolute fraction of an inch of accuracy. It is true that you can go back to the original point of beginning. The parallels and meridians established in each location pulled from those original 13 colonies to establish the 50 states of the main part of the United States of America. Before a building now could ever be built, first, every district and every city and every county and every state requires a permit be pulled. And in the permitting process, it requires a survey. The purpose of the survey is so that they can absolutely assure that the building that you are building is sitting within the confines and the location in which is deeded to the owner. And that location, that marker is set upon the property. And as that location, that benchmark is set upon the property, it can be set back to the four corners of the landowner's property. And there, there are reference points that a certain corner of that property is pulled to a reference point within that district and within that county and eventually to that state. Everything points back to a place of beginning. One, before you could ever build a skyscraper, before you can ever build any building, there first must be a benchmark. This will assure that everything going forward will line and fit together. Small buildings are not nearly as important as it is when they are building a skyscraper. 
For a skyscraper must be built within the tolerances of the materials in which they are building and the engineering of the building. Every great building must come down to within fractions of an inch of absolute accuracy in order for that building to stand against the winds and against the storms of time. One such building was being erected in the southern part of the United States. And enduring construction when they reached the 14th floor of the building, the windows began to break out of the building. When the engineers got deep into their research of what was causing the windows to pop out of the building, they went back and found that somewhere along the lines, the initial foundational benchmark had been confused with a benchmark that was originally set inaccurately. When this happened, the building, the whole plans and architectural scheme had to change. The building had to be taken down, had to be torn apart and taken back to its point of beginning so that the building could be accurately leveled and accurately squared so that the columns and the beams and the footings and the foundation, so that the brick and the mortar and the steel and the drywall and the windows and the doors and everything within that structural confinement would be able to stand the test of time. I bring you this point this morning to tell you that this church has come far too far to be torn apart by architects that know very little or nothing about the principal boundaries that were set when the foundational truth of this gospel message was first established. When we view the church, we must look at everything in light of the fact that not one of us are the chief cornerstone. Not one of us paid the ultimate price of our true blood in order to buy our salvations. I rise to this podium this morning to tell you that the musicians and the praise team sang under a powerful anointing, but they are not the benchmark of this church. The leadership team or the ministry team or the pastoral staff are doing a fantastic job, but they are not the point of beginning for this church. The pastor is not even the reference point for this church, but the Word of God declares that Jesus Christ Himself is the chief cornerstone by which all the building of the church must be measured back to everything we do every idea we have every ministry we birth every missionary we send every dollar we give everything must be, must point back to one foundational truth that God is the foundation of the church The church was designed to be the landmark, a lighthouse that points the way in a landscape that is often forgetful of the reality of the condition in which the world actually is today. But I believe that God is calling this church to get back to its vibrancy, to get back to where we once were too often. We find ourselves easily enamored with other things that make up our lives and all sorts of things that make us enjoy the church. When we do this, our focus tends to shift from where we are going to where we are now. We soon will completely lose our way. We begin to think that everything in the ministry that we lead rises and falls upon us. We forget that we are just part of a greater plan. When I preach the greatest of sermons that I feel that I have ever preached and then recognize that nothing is more powerful than the simplicity of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. When we forget that we're part of a greater architectural plan, 
and we lose our edge of what really is important. We begin to rely on performance. We begin to rely on education. We begin to rely on ability. But I come this morning to tell you that nothing is more important than God showing up in our services. Nothing is more important than a moving of the Spirit. Nothing is, is more important. God showed us last night in a prayer meeting that He could take over and fill someone with the Holy Ghost. When none of us came with a plan or prepared, God is showing this church, get back to the point of beginning where prayer is, is the most important thing. Bible study is the most important thing. Worship is the most important thing. If we're not careful, the church will get far too concerned about the comforts of the flesh and the things that feed our ego and our sensory impulses and what we enjoy. I want you to enjoy church. I want you to enjoy music. I want to preach a message that you can not only go home and feast on, but I want you to be able to enjoy the presentation. I want to make it palatable to you. I want you to go and tell your friends and neighbors. Last Sunday we had uh, one of the funniest preachers you'll ever hear in your life. I want you to be able to laugh in church. But church is not about entertainment. Church is not about the feel goods. Church is not about a position. Church is not about my personal elevation. But everything must be pulled back to the point of beginning. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. This is why the church needs revival. Notice I didn't say the world. I'm preaching to the church today. The church needs to get back to the point of beginning. Revival is the only solution when the church gets to the point in which it is today. Without a bright shining light to point us into the future and to the direction of life, we will stumble our way through life into the darkness that leads to nowhere. We will walk in circles much as the children of Israel and wander in the wilderness of wandering, never really accomplishing too much. The church needs revival. And revival is for the church. Revival begins with me. The word revival calls for me to get back to the point of beginning. The word revival calls for me to get back to my first love. The word revival calls me to get back to the place of my beginning. This is the number one assignment for the church today. Return to the point of your beginning. If you look around you this morning, I'm so proud of those that stood here today and received their Bible study certificates. I'm so excited for those that came forward and received baptismal certificates and others that did not come forward that have been baptized over the last little while. For it seems that it's, it's those that are so on fire that are telling their friends and neighbors, let me tell you what God did for me. Let me tell you about how he delivered me. Let me tell you about how he brought me out. Come on church, you may have been living for God. God for 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, however long it is. But in, this, in the next few days, every one of us need to pray through and get back to our first love, back to the point of beginning where we can't help but go tell somebody about Jesus and what he's done in our lives. I echo the words of my wife. There is an enemy on the loose he masquerades as an accomplishment and achievement. His name is overachiever. His name is activity. He is robbing our homes and our families and our churches of time. We say we have no time to pray, no time for personal devotion, and no time for church. The comforts of online church from our living room in our PJs has overruled our hunger for the things of God. I'm trying to direct this church today to, in a posture of desperation toward our only hope. That hope is that we would get back to that point of beginning and be renewed and be restored and be revived. 
as we come out of the era of spiritual famine that Amos foretold just before the coming of Jesus Christ. He declares that the greatest revival of all times is going to, to sweep our nation. I believe that we are living in that day. I, believe, I don't believe it's coming. I believe it is upon us. The whole purpose of reset is to get us back to the point of beginning and that every ministry begins to function at a level we've never functioned before. Get ready for what God is going to do. Get ready for an influx of souls. Get ready for more Bible studies than we have teachers. Get ready for more people in the altar than we have trained workers. Get ready for more people to disciple than the church can handle. Get ready for the next building project that is going to move us to an to a building to be able to house the revival that God is wanting to send the church. I'm calling for some folks who have been walking on the edge of the church to get back on board and to launch out into the deep. You very well may be the key to unlock this door of revival. There were there were many differences between the 120 on the day of Pentecost. But there was one thing that they all had in common. They were all gathered in one place and in one accord. In other words, they were all together with faith and expectancy. We must have a reset in our faith. Somebody needs to hear the word of the Lord today. CLC, our faith and our expectancy needs to be reset. We need to get back to the point when we walk in the building, we're saying there is no telling what God is going to do. There's no telling who's going to get healed. No telling who's going to get saved. No telling what kind of outpouring we're going to have today. At prayer meeting last night, I asked over a hundred people that gathered in the front of this room if they trusted God. And it appeared that it was unanimous by the showing of hands that people trusted God. Then I asked them if they believed that God could do anything. And it appeared that it was unanimous again by a showing of hands. But when I asked how many trusted that God would answer their prayers, it was overwhelming that most do not believe that their prayer, that their prayer is able to be answered. That's why they want someone else to do their praying for them. Simply put, Holy Ghost filled, apostolic, fasting and praying people do not have the faith to believe that God will answer their prayer. They simply do not trust their own prayers. We can believe God for healing because we have seen healing in other people or experienced it ourselves. We believe that God can raise the dead because we, many of us, were on Delphi Avenue and witnessed as God raised a lady from from the dead after not, not having a heartbeat for 17 minutes. We have witnessed it so we can believe it. We can believe God can heal cancer because we have experienced it and we have seen it and re we rejoice in it. But can we believe that God is truly going to send us the revival that for generations this church has been praying for and that for ages this church has had prophecies released over this and into the atmosphere and people have received it and we have clapped and danced and rejoiced. Can we believe? We can believe it easily in other parts of the world. We can believe it in other revival churches. But can we believe that it can happen here in our very own city and in this very own church that God is going to take the unthinkable and turn lives around and turn them into ministry leaders and turn them into evangelists and turn them into workers in the kingdom of God. Can we really believe it? 
We know we've grown, but can we believe God for more expedient growth? Come on, CLC. Our faith needs to reset. We rejoice over 243 in attendance last Sunday and 253 in attendance the Sunday before. But we've seen that with our own eyes. But can we truly do more than just say amen and just pat a cake? Can something leap in our spirit when we begin to talk about being a church of 400 in the next three years can we really believe it can it really get in our spirit and we feel like dancing when we talk about it that we feel like going to work because we believe it that kind of faith requires a different level our faith needs reset we've seen it in other churches but we don't think that it will ever happen for me or for here. <laughs> I want to encourage you and strengthen your faith today. I recently heard a story about a 14-year-old boy who was abandoned by his family. At 14 years of age, he started living on the streets of inner Los Angeles, California. If you've never been there, you should visit there. His mother passed away. He was estranged from his father. He had no family to help him or guide his way. The only way he could survive on the streets of inner Los Angeles was to join a gang. The only way to deal with the pain and emotional torment of his mind, of the reality of the life in which he lived, was to turn to drugs and the lifestyle that joins it. He became addicted at a very young age and did everything imaginable and many things unimaginable. He watched as his friend died. He held his hand of one of his closest friends as they drew their last breath. And at that point, I believe it was God that spoke to him. I believe it was God that touched him. And he knew that he needed a change in his life. He needed to get back to the point of beginning. He needed a reset. His life and his mindset were revealed on a forearm tattoo that says in Spanish, I'm living dead. Every day he looked to see I'm living dead. He tried to stop using drugs on his own at the end of 2019. But by the end of 2020, alcohol was in charge of his life. He needed God and he needed a reset. When he hit rock bottom on Christmas Day of 2020, he was ready to take his own life. And at the point of ending it all to get out of his misery. He decided that he would phone a friend. Suicidal and addicted. He called an old friend. His friend told him, you need God. To which he agreed, I need something. But he knew nothing or very little about God. As a matter of fact, he said he had mocked God. And he said, if you're real, do this or do that. And it seemed that God never answered his demands. He had cursed God. He had reached the point of not even really being sure if there was a God. Until Christmas, when he hits rock bottom, his friend invited him to go to church with him on the last Sunday of last year. He reluctantly agreed. And he remained skeptical of the outcome of his first visit to a church. After his first visit to an apostolic church, he never picked up another alcohol bottle again. He felt something that he had never felt before in his life. 
He felt the love of God through the love and the ministry of an apostolic church. He joined a Bible study group and he realized his need to be baptized. I know as I'm preaching this to you this morning, as I'm talking about a young man on the streets of Los Angeles, we believe that God can do it in Los Angeles. But do you and I have the faith to believe that God can reach into the highways and the byways of this region of north central Indiana? And find people in similar circumstances. And that God can call them out of darkness. And call them into this marvelous light. Do you believe that God can take a drug dealer and turn their life around? Do you believe God can take a sinner that has done the unimaginable things? That he can turn them around? I know you do because and such were some of you. But today we have been washed in the blood. Be seated. Our faith needs a reset. We need to believe that that is possible. I'm sure that he would love to have his family here. But when I asked him, he said, I don't have any family. Just a few friends. I said, Hector, you've got about 250 of your new family members that are going to be in church on Sunday. Hector, are you ready to be baptized in Jesus' name? Don't delay. Right now, Hector was the 14-year-old on the streets of Los Angeles, but God has done a work in his life. And today, Hector is going down in water baptism for the remission of his sins, and God is going to fill him with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. If you believe it today, put your hands together and shout with a voice of triumph. Hector, by the authority of the Word of God, we now baptize you in the only saving name, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Somebody rejoice today. Go ahead and rejoice today. And you said, if I can get back to church, I will. I will shout. I will dance. I don't care what it is that you said. But right now in the spirit of the Lord, if you said when I get back to church, I'm going to do it, you ought to do it right now. You ought to clap your hands. You ought to dance in the spirit. You ought to take a lap. You ought to worship God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength.
Now, if you've been praying and believing that God's going to answer a prayer that you've been praying for a long time, they don't have to give you a beat, but I want you to lift up your voice and begin to thank God for the victory. Thank God for answering the prayer. Come on, your faith is going to be encouraged. God is going to answer your prayer. God is going to do it for you. It doesn't have to be me praying or Gentry praying or Dylan praying or Brother Danny praying or Brother... Brandon praying or one of our elders praying you can pray on your own and God will answer your prayer No, you're not used to this, but there was your chance to do whatever you felt like doing. Go back to your seats. I'm not done preaching, and God is not done doing what he wants to do in the house. Come on, somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. The Holy Ghost is so thick in this house right now, there is no telling what God is going to do in a life before we leave here today. has not changed for this church. Be seated. The will of God has not changed for this church. His will is exactly today what it was when this church first gathered on an April morning on Kelly Road in 1965. Since the very first church service, God has had a plan for this church. Time has elapsed, but God's will has not changed. It is the same mandate that has compelled every Bible study, every baptism, every outreach effort, every dollar given, every sacrifice, every church service. God's will has not changed for this church. The devil has fought us on every side. But the time has come for us to stop looking around and identifying what is wrong. In this room, there are, four, there are four little gadgets that are on these walls, little white gadgets that are on these walls. Inside that gadget is something that is called a thermometer. What a thermometer does is tell you what the temperature is in a room. But a thermometer in of itself will do nothing more than tell you. You walk over and say, Burr, it's cold. And you walk over and look. Or you walk over and say, I'm hot. And you go over and look. And it identifies what the temperature is. But in that is more than just a thermometer. It is something that is called a thermostat. And that thermostat takes a reading off of the thermometer. And it does more than just says it's cold. But the thermostat says you identified the problem. But I'm going to be the one that makes the change. I'm going to cause the unit to come on to change the atmosphere in the room. Some of you have been praying for the spirit of discernment so you can walk around and identify every problem in the church so you can go and gossip to people about the things that they are thinking. But right now, I bind that spirit in Jesus' name. I take authority over it and I release people in this room to be change agents. People in this room to say, I'm going to stop identifying the problem and I'm going to start being part of the change. I'm going to start moving this church forward. I'm going to stop sitting on the sidelines and complaining. I'm going to stop finding what's wrong. I'm going to start declaring the will of God over this church. I'm convinced that this pandemic has perfectly positioned this church for a reset. The church, you see, has become enamored with the things of the world and is no longer functioning properly. God was left with no choice but to force the church into a reset. It may be that this pandemic was of the plan of God specifically for the church. If all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord, then this pandemic is supposed to work for your good. 
And one thing we've got to understand is that we are not an island unto ourselves, But we are a building fitly framed together. And Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. The Lord revealed to me some key factors that this church must do in order for us to become a church of 400 in the next three years. One of them is that we need a reset for our faith. But the worst is not just our faith. I just preached to you about a reset of faith. And we just rejoiced with someone who was baptized in Jesus' name that some of you a few years ago would have never dreamed that would have happened in this church. But the worst is not our faith. But the worst condition is our unity. Proverbs says it like this, but pride cometh not by, but by contention. There are two prideful spirits that this church must overcome. First of all, it is a prideful spirit of pettiness. Oh, you're not going to shout now, are you? The Apostle Paul wrote to the, about this spirit in the early church in Ephesians, the second chapter. And verse 17, And came and preached peace unto you, which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access unto one spirit by the Father. Therefore now neither are, more, are any more strangers, but we're fellow citizens with the saints and of the household. And we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. If we really believe this and really believe this word like we've declared, then why in the world do we get offended so easily over petty things? Why in the world do we show bad attitudes and bad spirits over where we are placed in the kingdom of God? Why in the world do we show negative attitudes and negative spirits over where, the, where we sit in his kingdom? Jesus addressed it in Mark chapter 10. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do? They said unto him, Grant us that we may sit one on the right and one on thy left hand. But Jesus said unto them, You don't even know what you're asking. You can't drink of the cup in which that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. They said unto him, Oh, yes, we can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup and, 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 and be baptized with the same baptism. And we're just going to see. But he said, But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give but it's given unto them for whom it is prepared and then the ten heard it they began to be much displeased with James and John why were they displeased with James and John because they were always real close to Jesus they were always next to where Jesus was and they didn't like it because they were too close to their teacher they were too close to their Lord and Savior they were too close and they didn't like it so they murmured and said hey we don't want to pay the price to get up close to you what we want to do is for you to exercise your authority and demand those who are paying the price of leadership to take a step down so that I who refuse to pray and watch with you for an hour will, will, will be able to be close to who you are and where you are but Jesus called unto them and said you now are going to be accounted to rule over the Gentiles and exercise lordship over them he said but, but, but so it shall not be among you but whosoever will be great among you him I'm going to allow to be the minister whosoever of you is going to be the chiefest that's who is going to be servant of all for the son of man came not to be ministered to not to be elevated not to be put on a pedestal but that 
that he may give his life a ransom for you. Let me tell you about the chief cornerstone. He didn't come to be exalted. And when he was exalted, he was exalted upon a tree. He was exalted to die. He was exalted to give his life ransom. They didn't chant his name with good works. They chanted his name when they said crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. But we are looking for position and we're looking for elevation. But you have missed the cross. But you have missed the sacrifice. But you have missed the whipping. And you have missed the torn. And you have missed the crown of thorns. And you have missed being chastised. Oh, but we want the blessing. But we don't want the commitment. The second preventing spirit is a prideful spirit that we must war against. And it is the spirit of competition. Paul also addressed that same issue with the church in Corinth. He said, brethren, I count not unto you as spiritual, but as carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hereto ye were not able to bear it. You couldn't handle good preaching. You couldn't handle solid teaching. So I had to keep giving you milk. But I'm writing you a letter. And what he's really saying to the church in Corinth, you're being a baby. You're being petty. You're arguing amongst yourselves. First he told his disciples, you're getting offended over where you sit in the kingdom. Then Paul tells the church in Corinth, you're acting like a bunch of babies and you can't even handle the word of God. And then he goes on and said, you're also carnal. And then he starts telling them what their sins were. There is among you envy and strife and divisions. Are you not carnal? And walking among men? For why one says... I'm of Paul. And the other says, well, I am of Apollos. I have said unto the great teachers and the great leader. He said, then who is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye have believed, even the Lord Jesus Christ that gave unto every man. He said, understand, I have planted, Apollos watered, but it is God that gives the increase. Let me break it down to you. There is not one ministry of this church that is responsible for the success of this church. May I reiterate how I started this message. The praise team is awesome. The music is second to none. But they are not the foundation of this church. And they don't deserve elevation any more than anybody else. And they, sh they should not take the credit for the revival in the church any more than a Bible study teacher should. Any more than a Sunday school teacher should. Any more than an usher should. Any more than a door greeter could. Any more than a parking attendant should. Any more than a sound our, our tech team should everybody in this room we are workers together but Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone not one of us paid the ultimate price but Jesus paid the debt once and for all Jesus gave us an example of who ought to be the chiefest in the kingdom. He exercised the role of a father. And he went and he knelt at the feet of his disciples. And he took a towel and girded himself. And he took water from a basin. And he poured it upon the feet of his disciples. And he washed and he told them, you go and do likewise. But instead of washing my brother's feet, they want to bicker and fight and complain. Because they got the solo, because they got the microphone, because 
because they got the opportunity, because they got to go to dinner with pastor, because they got this opportunity, because of where they sit, because of where they stand, because of who they are. And Jesus said, oh, you think you're great? I'm going to know how great you are by how you are washing somebody who is inferior to you. You ought to be washing their feet. You ought to be serving them because the washing of the feet is to set an example that I am going to nurture the wounds of everything in your past and prepare you for while you are here. But the washing of the feet also is preparing them for the journey that is ahead of them. As Brother Danny washed his son's feet spiritually, he is saying, I'm preparing you for the journey that is ahead of you. I am working with you. I am not against you. I am not exercising authority over you. But I will humble myself to be your servant. The only thing more powerful than unity is disunity. Unity releases the power of God, but disunity will bind the hands of God. God, not me, God called his church to fellowship together. He called the church to be one, even as he was one. Nothing calls for unity in the church anymore than the act of communion. God is calling the church to be members one of another. And God is calling for the church to minister to one another and to serve I'm the most blessed man in the world to be called your pastor and to stand in this pulpit. I don't deserve to stand here. I'm not the smartest in this room. I'm not the most talented in this room. But God chose. I'm blessed to get to set it up head table yesterday and deliberate over business matters of the church with our church board. Many of them more successful in certain areas of their life than, than I have ever been. Yet I'm sitting as the leader. God has reminded me, be their servant. Be their servant. After Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he rose, he took bread. He said, this is my body. He's with them. They didn't fully understand what you and I know. But he took that bread, that whole loaf of unbroken bread. And he took the bread and he said, this is my body. They didn't understand when he began to break the bread that his body was going to be broken for them. And he took the bread and he gave them and he said, do this in remembrance In your hand you have a communion cup and on the top of that cup is a wafer representing the broken body of our Lord and Savior. I want you to take that bread. And I want you to partake today. But in partaking of that bread, the broken body of Jesus, it's not the literal body, it's a representation of the body. As Jesus broke the bread to Signify his broken body and he said partake of the body. Today I'm calling the church to the higher level of unity than we have ever been before. And we are acknowledging Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone of the church and the chief cornerstone of my life. And in remembrance of him until he returns to call this church forward.
I'm signifying that I'm always keeping God where God ought to be high and exalted and lifted up. And I am humbling myself before him. Take, take the bread and eat. This is the body of Jesus which was broken for you. And after the same manner, Jesus also took the cup. He took the cup and he said, the cup is the New Testament in my blood. As oft as you drink of this cup, it's not the literal blood of Jesus. It is the fruit of the vine. He said, as oft as you drink this, I want you to do it in remembrance of my blood that was shed on Calvary and flowed down from the crown of his head. Down from the scars and from the wounds in his side and dripped on the ground. There was one drop of blood that he shed, that he shed just Jesus said, take the cup and as oft as you drink it, do in remembrance of me. Take the cup and remember the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And as you partake of that communion cup, I ask you to rise to your feet right now all over this room. We should all be humbled today and recognize that it wasn't my broken body. It wasn't my shed blood. But there is a reset in my spirit this morning. This act of communion is a reset for this congregation, for every member of this church. It is a reset. I'm tired of being what I have been and doing what I have done but today I am resetting my life there is going to be a change right now if that is you why don't you just lift your hands toward heaven and begin to cry out to the Lord and begin to thank him for his shed blood begin to declare Lord I'm ready to get back to the point of beginning I'm ready to go back to that point of beginning Come on, let your prayer out. Lift your voice now in prayer. God, take us back to our first love. God, restore unto us the joy of our salvation. God, baptize us with fresh passion. God, bring my worship back to the point of beginning. Let me get back to that first place I was in you. Come on, church, lift your voice right now all over this room right now. I'm done preaching. It's time for a divine move of the Spirit of God in this room. If there's one in this room that does not is not fully where you need to be in God, these altars are open. You ought to run to the front of this room right now. If there's one that's been walking with pride, you ought to run to the front of this room. If there's one that wants to be filled with the Holy Ghost afresh and anew today, get to the front of this room. If there's one that needs healing in this room today, get to the front of this room. If there's one that wants to be used of God, move to the front of this room. We're moving away from pettiness. We're moving away from competition. We're moving into unity. Surrender it all to him this morning. This is a call to repentance. This is a call to refreshing. This is a call to renewal. This is 
a call to change. This is a call to getting back to the first point, the point of beginning. Come on, saints of the Most High God. Find somebody and submit yourself to them in prayer right now. Everybody submit yourself to someone in prayer right now. There's folks that need a healing. There's folks that need deliverance. getting back to the point of beginning this morning. There's some people going to be refreshed right now. There's some that's walked away, but you're coming back this morning. You're not coming back to be part of what you used to be. You're coming back to be stronger than you've ever been. You're coming back to be more usable than you've ever been. You're coming back to the point of beginning. That's it, that's it. It. There's refreshing in the house. There's renewal in the house. We're getting back to the point of beginning today. This is a fresh start for somebody. The past is behind us. The past is over. Come on, that's it. Don't mess around. Don't play with God. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Honest, open-hearted before the Lord. Yes. The Holy Ghost is in the room. The Holy Ghost is in the house. God is wanting to restore some people. He's wanting you to get back to that point of beginning. He's wanting to renew you. He's wanting to refresh you. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Children, except we become as little children. 